Praise the Lord. Without a shadow of a doubt, the Lord is getting very serious with us here this morning. He's laid a message in my heart that is very, very uh, uh, encouraging. It's very, uh, um, I, I guess, if it's very heavy upon me today as, uh, as I get up here. The song service has been going right along with what the Lord wants me to preach on this morning. I want you to be a recipient of God's grace here today. I want you to know no matter where you're at or what's going on in your life, there is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. You're here, you're a child of God, you're a recipient of his grace already through salvation. Why don't you be a recipient of everything he's got for you? I want you to open up. I want you to get serious with yourself. I want you to look deep inside of yourself and ask God, what is it that I have need of physically, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, financially, whatever it is? Because God is a God that wants to do some great things here today. I'm very serious that God is not just wanting to play church anymore with his saints where we just kind of just get our little touches and we get blessed and we go in our ways and we really never change into a deep walk with God. But God really wants to do a, a life-shattering, changing uh, transformation in our lives here this morning. Those of you that are cannot see the screen because of the Christmas set that is being set up. We do apologize. We'll have to put up with that until after Christmas. But those of you that are visiting, that's what this is all about. Uh, we do a big uh, Christmas um, uh, program and we have to start early. So uh, that's what this is all about. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Mark chapter 1, starting with verse 21. Mark chapter 1, starting with verse 21. And um, I have bought me another Bible, bigger print, but I can't find nothing in it because I've been studying out of this for years. And so I know where everything's at in this one. So I have to wear my glasses. Mark chapter 1, starting with verse 21. And they went into Capernaum, and straightway on the Sabbath day, he entered into the synagogue and he taught. And they were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one that had authority and not as the scribes. And there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, Let us alone, what have we to do with thee? Thou art Jesus of Nazareth. Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee, who thou art, the Holy One of God. Jesus rebuked him and said, Hold thy peace and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had torn and, and cried with a loud voice, he came out of him. They were all amazed, and so much they questioned among themselves, saying, What thing is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority commandeth he even the unclean spirits, and they obey his voice, or they obey him. And immediately his fame spread abroad throughout all of the region around about Galilee. And forthwith, when they were come out of the synagogue, they entered into the house of Simeon and Andrew with James and John and so on. Let us pray. Brother Marvin, would you ask the Lord's blessing on the word, please? Amen. You may be seated. You know, Mark's gospel starts off different than any other gospel. Mark's gospel opens up with Jesus ministering in the synagogue, and he's being confronted by what we call a demon-possessed man. Mark's gospel is a no-nonsense, action-packed, bottom-line summary of the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. Mark's gospel shows Jesus as one who speaks, acts, and delivers in the midst of crisis. Aren't you glad that we got a delivering God here this morning? That he's not a God that just speaks up with words, but he shows up with action. How many are glad you got a God that has action behind his words? Amen. Mark is known as the gospel of God on the move. So when you read the book of Mark, get ready for action. Anytime you want an action-packed uh, a, a story, go into the book of Mark. Mark doesn't speak about the accolades of Christ. He doesn't talk of him in a past tense. He doesn't focus on his titles, his names, or his position. He doesn't talk about his kingship. He doesn't talk about his priesthood. He doesn't talk about any of those kinds of things, but he gives you the account of Jesus' life in everyday life. He wants you to look at the nature of Jesus. He wants you to look at the person of Jesus. He wants you to understand his heart, his heartbeat, his compassion.
compassion, his love, and his purpose for coming. He reveals Jesus in everyday occurrences more than any of the other gospels. Mark records more of Jesus' actions than he does than any other than any other writer does. Mark records more of his miracles than he does his messages. Mark doesn't focus on his mere promises or predictions or prophecies or even his sermons, but Mark doesn't focus simply on the words of Jesus, but he focuses upon him being a man of power and action and not just mere words. I want to tell you something, folks. Talk is cheap, but action speaks louder than our words sometimes. And this is what Mark is trying to get us to understand, that Jesus isn't a God that just comes down and makes a bunch of promises and never fulfills them. He is a God that fulfills his promises. He is a God that you can take at his word. While others tell you what Christ can do, Mark shows you what he has done and what he will do. As Jesus was ministering in the synagogue, we see that there was a man, and the Bible says this man had an unclean spirit. Is that even possible? A man with an unclean spirit in the synagogue. I say yes, and I'm so it's sad, but it's probably all too, too common in the house of God. This man, by all indication, was a regular attender. He had sat in that synagogue, hearing the messages, listening to the teaching day after day, week after week, and he was a regular face among that assembly. But something was different this day. The deep-seated conflicts of the soul was confronted by the anointing and the spiritual authority of Jesus Christ. This man was never confronted like he was on this day. This day was a different day than all of the other days that he had ever attended the house of God. And I just feel like the Holy Spirit wants me to tell somebody here today, this is a different day than you've ever going to encounter in your life. You have come to the house of God day after day, week after week, year after year, but today you're going to have a confrontation with the presence of God that's forever going to change your life. You're going to not walk out of here the same way that you walked in the house of the Lord. Can I have an amen? You know what? I even, before I start even preaching any further, I just bind the opposition of the enemy that would try to hinder in this service. I bind the principalities and the powers and the rulers of darkness and the spiritual wickedness in high places that would sit and try to us not be able to hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying because the Word is so important this morning. The Word is so necessary for this body. This man was never confronted like he was on this day. When the scribe spoke, there was no spiritual authority that confronted the deep inner conflict of the strongholds that held that man captive or held that man bound. A matter of fact, it says in verse 21 and 22 that when they went into Capernaum and straightway on the Sabbath day, Jesus entered into the synagogue and he taught. And they were astonished at his doctrine for he taught them as one that had authority and not like the scribes. When Jesus walks into a room, those hidden things of the heart, you know what begins to happen? They begin to be revealed. The things that held holds men captive uh, were, begin to be unveiled and exposed as Jesus comes into a room. This man attended church services on a regular basis, but there was no anointing or spiritual authority to confront the, conf the, con confront the conflicting issues of his heart. When Jesus, the light of the world entered into that room or into that synagogue that day, the darkness was exposed and he had to give way to the light. We know this by what the next words say within our text. In verse 23 it says, and there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit and what happened? He cried out. Never had this man cried out before, but he was exposed and he had to face the inner conflicts that resided within himself. This is what light does. It exposes, it reveals, it enlightens, and it makes us aware of where we're at and what we need. And this is why that John chapter 1 verse 1 through 7 says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the same was in the beginning with God, and all things were made by him, and without him there was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was what? The light of men. And the Bible says, and the light shined in darkness, but the darkness comprehended it not. And then I like that it says that there was a man sent by God whose name was John, and the same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. It is through the enlightenment of Jesus Christ's presence that you and I can be saved. How many knows that? And John came to bear witness of that light. It says he was not the light, John was it, but he was sent to bear witness of the light and that it was the true light which lighteneth every man that cometh into the world. This man for the first time became aware of his spiritual condition and his lostness by the illuminating presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here he, Jesus, is the true light which enlightens 
enlightens every man that ever cometh in the world. How many knows that Jesus Christ is the light of the world? If you believe he's the light of the world, give him a clap offering of praise here today. Hallelujah. Jesus is the light of the world. And when men come into contact with Jesus Christ, they themselves begin to see themselves as God sees them. Because Jesus is in the express image of his Father. He is the mirror and the pure reflection of God. He is God robed in human flesh. And when men get a glimpse of God through the face of Jesus Christ, they begin to see themselves as Isaiah saw him when he got in the presence of the Lord. When it says that he, he said, I saw the Lord high and lifted up and his train filling the temple. And then look at his response according to, uh, to what he had seen. It says, then said I, woe is me for I'm undone because I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips for my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. In other words, Isaiah was a keeper of the temple. He was a janitor, if you please, and day after day he would go there. But I want to tell you, he had never seen himself the way that God had seen him until he saw the Lord high and lifted up. And when he did, he said, woe is me for I'm a man of unclean lips and not only am I unclean even the people I'm dwelling with is an unclean he said how do I know because my eyes have seen the Lord the glory of the Lord and the host of the Lord there, there is no confrontation of the mind or the heart in dead lethargy cold indifferent churches but wherever the presence of God is he confronts the conflicting issues of our hearts and he convicts us of our sin thank God for a church that challenges convicts and makes us feel uncomfortable at times in our lives. Are you thankful for that? We should appreciate an aggressive forthcoming church that gets in our business and confronts us and makes us feel uncomfortable from time to time. That is the wonderful presence of God. Without it we would remain lost in our sin. We would be bound by demonic strongholds that keeps us captive and enslaved and we would remain deceived. And all form of deception, I don't care what it is, whether it's a lie told to you scripturally or whatever, all forms of deception have a demonic spirit tied to it. How do I know that? Because the devil is the father of all lies, of all falsehood. And wherever there's deception, there's demonic presence. It is here through the love of God that Jesus reaches out to a demon-possessed man. The scriptural definition of a demon-possessed man is this. A person whose personality has been invaded by one or more demons who at will can speak and act through their human victim, deranging both body and mind. Paul even mentioned to young Timothy. He said that in the last days, men would give in to seducing spirits, being deceived. But not only that, but also doctrines of what? Devils. That men would give in to doctrines of devils. A doctrine of the devil is any belief that is contrary to the doctrines of Scripture and that which opposes the teaching of Jesus Christ. This man felt comfortable in the synagogue believing his own lies and falsehood by him upholding unsound doctrine. He remained there with an unclean spirit. The only thing that will rid the church of falsehood and deception is through the unveiling of the word of God and literally the invading and the encounter of Jesus Christ's presence. And what you and I are going to experience here today is literally the unveiling of the word of God as I preach and the invading of God's presence upon his people. Light is about to shine in darkness, can you say amen? Give the Lord praise in this place. Notice what this man cried out in verse 24. He cried out saying, let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Are thou coming to destroy us? I know who thou art, the Holy One of God. Now the first thing that they say is let us alone. Notice this. This was not just the mere man speaking, but the words are in a plural form. Leave us not, the man didn't say, leave me alone. Sometimes people are so bound, they want to be set free, but they can't even speak for themselves because of the bondage they live in. And here is these demonic presence speaking up for the man. Instead of the man probably wanting to be set free, the demons are saying, man, you shut up and let us speak for you. And they say, let us alone. Get out of here. We don't want nothing to do you with you, Jesus of Nazareth. And I bind the spirit that would cause men to sit in their pews and not want the presence of God here today. Are you with me? There's great opposition in the heavenlies right now. 
And I'm here to smile and laugh because I know the end of this message before we get over. The power of the Holy Spirit is going to press through the darkness and the glorious light of Jesus Christ is going to shine upon this place and men are going to fear and tremble and they're going to understand their need of whatever need they have. It's only through the power of Jesus that they can obtain it today. Can I have an amen? But notice, they say, let us alone. The demons that held this man captive begin to cry out through this man's vocal cords, through his own human voice, and they were in opposition to Christ invading in that room with his presence. And let me tell you, there is sometimes some of the greatest wars that we ever have is when God sets us up for divine appointment and the enemy tries to stop it. And right now, we are here under divine appointment. You're not here by chance or by coincidence or because you were pressured. Some of you are here and you don't even want to be here, but it doesn't matter. God has set you up here today because he's fixing to invade into your territory. He's going to shake you to the core and he's going to reveal his loving grace to you. And before you leave here, by in the name of Jesus Christ, you're going to receive the goodness of God in your life today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But these demons were trying to stop, you know, stop Christ. And they were not wanting to lose their, their grip, their control, and their influence in this man's life. They did not want this man to be touched. Right now as I preach, there are demonic spirits fighting, irritating, doing everything, trying to distract, doing everything they can to try to keep the man or the woman that are sitting there in great need, uh, hearing a message that will liberate them and free them. Can I have an amen? They cry out, leave us alone. And then notice they ask him a question. What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? They ask him a second question. Have you come to destroy us? Then they make a statement. I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. Now, we see in the dialogue between the demonic and Jesus that the demons identified Jesus' Jesus humanity. They identified Jesus' humanity. They called him Jesus of Nazareth. You know, it's important that we recognize this Jesus' humanity and see him as the Son of Man here today. Can I have an amen? It's important. Matter of fact, I won't preach on that, but 1 John 4 and 3 says, every spirit that confesses not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of the Antichrist when you have heard that it should come, even now is already in the world. It's important that you and I understand the, 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 the humanity of Jesus Christ or why he came as a suffering servant on the cross for our redemption, as Messiah and Lord. Not only did the demons identify and recognize Jesus' humanity, but they also recognized his deity. They say, I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. They didn't just see him as the Son of Man, a man in flesh, but they also see him and recognized him as the Son of God. Jesus has what we call dual natures or dual rows. He literally is the Son of Man at all times, or he was, and he is also the Son of God at the very same time. He was 100% flesh. He was the Son of Man. He was 100% deity or, or God or divine. He was the Son of God. Jesus was God on earth robed in human flesh. How many knows that? Can I have an amen? This is why they ask him the question in John 8 and 57. In response to him saying that he knew Abraham. They said, you're not even yet 50 years old and you say that you know Abraham, how's that possible? You're, only, you're, not, you're, only thir you're not even 30 years old, they could have said at that time. You're not even 50 years old, but if you say that you know Abraham, how is that? Jesus responds to the question. He says, verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. Amen. The very prophecy concerning Jesus coming in the flesh in Micah chapter 5 verse 2 reveals to us the very deity of who he was. They revealed that he was divine. They revealed that he was sovereign, that he was God. Notice this. But thou, Bethlehem, how many know that Jesus was born in Bethlehem in a manger? But thou, Bethlehem, Euphrates, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall come forth unto me that is a ruler of Israel, whose going forth has been from old and from everlasting. This is why that Revelations chapter 22, verse 13, it says, Jesus said, I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end, the first and the last. Even Jesus in his prayer while he was in his earthly ministry, he says in John chapter 17, verse 5, And now, O Father, glorify, them, glorify thou me with thy own self with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. In other words, he prayed, I want you to know, I want to come into the glory that I had with you before the world was ever even created. Before the world was ever created, Jesus was there. He's God. 
Can I have an amen? He's not just another man. He's not just another prophet. He's not just another preacher. He's not an apostle. He's not just some spiritual authority. Jesus Christ is the son of the living God. He's God robed in human flesh. He is God. Can I have an amen? I like what John 17, 24 says. Father, I will that thou also whom I have given, that you've given me, be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which I had with you before the foundation of the world. Jesus was with the Father before the foundation of the world. Amen. That's why we quoted John 1, 1 through 3 a while ago. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him. Without him, there's not anything made that was made. In him was light, light of men, a light shining in darkness. But who, what is the Word? Verse 14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory as the glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So we could quote this scripture this way. In the beginning was Jesus. Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. Jesus was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Jesus, and without Jesus, there was not anything made that was made. Can I have an amen? So I want you to understand, we're not dealing with just some kind of a, 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 a anointed, authoritative person. We're dealing with deity when we speak the name and invoke the name of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. People speak about Muhammad and they speak about Buddha and they speak about all these other gods that they have created in their minds, but there's only one true God and he's revealed through the person of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. This is why Genesis 1:26 that God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let him have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over every creeping thing that creepeth on the face of the earth. So God created man in his own image, created he them, male and female created he them. I like that passage of scripture because the Bible says, let us make man in our image. You're not made in the image of an angel or a seraphim or any other angelic being, but you're made in the image of God. And God the Father and Jesus Christ the Son said, let us make man in our image. Hallelujah. He was there before the creation. This is why the Apostle Paul penned the words describing his deity in Colossians 1 verse 12 through 19. Giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. I'd like to preach about the being saints of light. Who have been delivered from the power of darkness and has translated into us, into, translated us into his, the kingdom of his dear son. In whom we have redemption through his blood and the forgiveness of sins. Who's in the image of the invisible God. Who's the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created, talking about Christ, that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible, invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or power, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who's in the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness of God shall dwell. I love that because that proves the deity of Jesus Christ. Jesus isn't just the son of man, the suffering servant who came to die for us, but he's also the son of God. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's not only the author of our faith, but he's the finisher of our faith. Not only did the demons recognize Jesus' humanity and Jesus' deity, but they also recognized his authority. They asked him, have you come to destroy us? They understood that he was more powerful than they were. I'm here to tell you that the son of man is in no way in fear to the henchmen of the devil. I want you to understand that no matter what force is against you, there's a greater force uh, for you than against you. If God be for you, who can be against you? Can I have an amen? You are made more than conquerors through Jesus Christ who died and gave himself for you. Though Jesus was a man, yet he was fully God. And this is why the first John 3 and 8 says, for this purpose was the son of man manifested that he might what? Destroy. Say the word destroy. Destroy the works of the devil. Of who? The works of the devil. For this purpose, the Son of Man was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. When Jesus Christ's presence is manifested among us, there's one thing he's out to do, and that's to destroy the work of the devil in your life. Every hindrance, every opposition, every, every trial, everything that's going on in your life that is not of God, God came to destroy the very hindrance that holds you captive and the chains that hold you bound. I'm here to tell you that Jesus wants to free somebody in this building today. Acts 10 and 38 said how that God anointed Jesus Christ of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power who went around doing good and healing all that was oppressed of the devil 
for God was with him. I want you to understand that the change of the enemy are going to be, I don't care how, how, how bound you feel here today. I don't care how bad your circumstances are. I don't care how far away that you feel like you're away from God. I don't care how bad your situation seems. I'm here to tell you, you're gonna walk out of here a changed man and woman here today. I don't care how sick you are. I don't care what the doctors, what kind of report the doctors has put over you. I don't care what somebody has decreed over you. I don't care what kind of lies hold you captive. I'm here to tell you the falsehood's going out the door today. Light's gonna spring up and every man and every woman in this building is gonna come in contact with the presence of the illumination presence of Jesus Christ and you're going to be set free because he came to destroy the works of the enemy. I'm so tired of God's people being a throw mat to the enemy. I'm so tired of people to walking around depressed, full of anxiety, full of fear, wringing their hands, beating their chest, going through their daily routines, barely surviving. I'm here to tell you, old dry bones, it's time to rise up because God's decreeing over this congregation who the sad has set free. They're free indeed. Know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Hallelujah. I could preach there an hour, but I can't. Jesus himself said in Matthew 28 and 18, all power is given to me in heaven and earth. His power was demonstrated in his resurrection according to the book of Romans 1 and 4. He, and he declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness and by the resurrection of the dead. I like what John 14, 19, Jesus said, because I live, you shall live also. He didn't just come to save you. I want to tell you your salvation is more than just getting you to heaven. Are you listening to me? That's the main thing, the most important thing. But Jesus didn't just come to save you so that you can be free to go to heaven. Jesus came to save you to make you whole. And Jesus came to save you to give you a little bit of heaven here on earth. The joy of the Lord is your strength. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. I'm here to tell you that God wants his people to be joyful in God. I'm here to tell you he wants to exuberant joy, joy unspeakable and full of glory to fall back into the house of God. Get rid of the dreads, get rid of the, the fears, get rid of the bondages, get rid of all of the faulty thinking. Woe is me, woe is this. I'm telling you there's no woes in the kingdom of God towards the children of God. The woes are only to the disobedient. God says, lift up your hands, O you everlasting gates. Let the king of glory come here. Who is the king of glory? The Lord mighty in battle is his name. He's out here battling for you right now. He battled 2,000 years ago. He's the victor and not the victim, and he's out to make you the victor instead of the victim as well. He has come to bring up the church and place them in spiritual and in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. Can I have an amen? Why is it that John 10 and 10 says this and we don't grasp it? The, key, the thief come of not but to kill, to steal, and destroy. That's the devil. That's what he's out to do. To bind, to enslave, to lie, to afflict, to oppose to possess, to oppress. Come on. That's why 1 Peter 5 and 8 says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, he walketh about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And Jesus says, that thief, he only comes to kill, to steal, to destroy, but I have come to give you life and to give it to you more abundantly. He even said this concerning his coming, this is the reason Jesus came. You want to hear the reason Jesus came? Luke 4, we quote it a lot. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted. He sent me to, he sent me to preach deliverance to the captives. The recovering of the sight to the blind and has set at liberty them that are bruised to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Every one of you that are bruised, God wants to set you free. Come on, somebody help me preach. Those of you that are bound, he wants to, he wants to rid you of the shackles today. Amen. Mark records more of Jesus' miracles than any other gospel. Mark focused more on the miracles than he does, as important as the messages are. His sermons are not even put in the book of Mark. It's his miracles that's put there. Mark presents Jesus clearly as a man of power and action who does miracles and does what he says he'll do. Webster's Dictionary defines a miracle. It says that a miracle is to wonder at or to be surprised. And when I read that definition, I thought, oh, Lord, even though a miracle takes faith, we have to have expectation. We have to exercise faith. Yet I hear the Lord saying something totally different to me this morning. 
There are times that God just says, I'm going to come by and I'm going to surprise you and cause you to be amazed. Sometimes our healing doesn't come by the way of our faith in spite of ourselves. It's just the goodness and the greatness and the love of God that we receive what we receive. And somebody, God spoke this to me in my study, that somebody in this place this morning is going to walk away from here with a miracle and it's simply going to be by grace. Simply by grace. While I'm preaching, I'm expecting somebody to stand up and just, woo, because they receive a miracle. Right where you're sitting, God's a God of miracles. And what I'm about to preach is where God wants me to close up with here in just a moment. But I want you, somebody in this place, before you leave here today, you're going to walk out of here with a divine miracle of God. It's not because of what you've done. It's because of what he did. It's not because of who you are. It's because of who he is. The de- definition of a miracle, according to Webster, is also this. An event or action that apparently contradicts known scientific causes. It's an act of God. A remarkable event or thing, it's a marvel. You know what? That's why the Bible says that they were astonished. And they said, what kind of new doctrine is this? When he got done delivering that man from the demonic depression. When he just said, hold your peace. He said, I tell you, come out of him. And that demon came out of that man. And they said they were astonished. What new doctrine is this? It's time that the church marvel again. It's time that we sit here with our jaws dropped. It's time that we sit here and think, whoa, I thought I was a believer, but I've never seen anything like that before. It's time that the church can say, oh, they were all amazed. And it's time that we understand that God wants to do amazing, supernatural things in our midst here today. Can I have an amen? Another dictionary described a miracle as this. A divine intervention into or an eruption of the regular course of the world that produces a purposeful but unusual event that would not have occurred otherwise. Hallelujah. It goes on and says, an event that appears inexplicable by the laws of nature and so is held to be supernatural in origin or an act of God. Another definition is this. A miracle is a break with the normal patterns of events. It defiles natural explanation as supersedes or suspends what we call the laws of nature or the laws of the universe. I got my own definition of what a miracle is. You want to hear Kent Miller's definition? It's God doing only what God can do. That's what a miracle is. It's God doing only what God can do. When man can't do it, only God can do it. That's why I love what Jesus said in Matthew 19, 26. With men, these things are impossible. With God, nothing is impossible. I like what he said in the book of Matthew. He says, he says these words, with God, nothing is impossible to them that believe. Can I have an amen? Jesus specializes in the miraculous. Jesus specializes in the impossible. Jesus specializes in the crisis of life. How many of you are going through a crisis? How many of you are going through trouble? How many of you have afflictions? How many of you got problems? Jesus specializes in that. I like this. In the book of Mark alone, we see Peter's mother-in-law being healed of a fever in Mark chapter 1, verse 29. We see the healing of the leper in Mark 1.40. We see the healing of a paralyzed man in Mark chapter 2, verse 3. We see man healed of a withered hand in Mark chapter 3, verse 1. We see a woman with the issue of blood healed in Mark chapter 5, verse 25. We see the deaf and the dumb healed in Mark chapter 6, verse 53. We see blindness healed of a man at Bethesda in Mark chapter 8. We see blind Bartimaeus healed in Mark chapter 10. We see Jairus' daughter raised from the dead in Mark chapter 5. We see Jesus' own resurrection in Mark chapter 16. We see him have power over nature and calming the storm in Mark chapter 6. You remember when he's on the boat and he spoke to the, uh, the waves and the sea and said, be still, be calm. You know what that, the actual Greek word is there? Be muzzled, shut up! He has power even over nature. We see him walking on water in Mark chapter 6 verse 45. We see him, see him feeding 4,000 in Mark chapter 8 by divine supply. We see him cursing the fig tree and, the, and withering it in Mark chapter 11. We see him feeding 5,000 men, not counting women and children, and with five loaves of bread and two small fishes in Mark chapter 6 starting with verse 35. We see him delivering the demon-possessed man of our text in Mark chapter 1. We see him delivering the demonic at Gadara in Mark chapter 5. We see him delivering the little woman little girl with a demon in Mark chapter 7. We see him delivering the little boy of a demon in Mark chapter 9. We see that he can heal all diseases. He's not a respecter of persons when it comes to age or gender. Did you know he healed the young? He healed the old? He healed the male? He healed the, fe- he healed the female? He healed the, he healed the rich and the poor? There is no respecter of God, respecter of persons with God. He even raised people 
from the dead. Can you believe that? Aren't you glad the Hebrews 13 and 8 declares that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever? How many believe that? This means what Jesus has done, he will always do, and what he's always been, he will always be. He's not going to change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus is healer, miracle worker, sea walker, and storm calmer. Mark chapter 7, verse 37 says, And they were beyond measure astonished, saying, He hath done all things well. He maketh both the deaf to hear and the dumb to speak. Mark 9 and 35 says, Jesus went about healing every sickness and disease among the people. Mark 9, 35 says, They brought unto him all that were diseased, and as many as touched his garment, they were made perfectly whole. Luke chapter 6, verse 19, it says, The whole multitude sought to touch him, for there went virtue out of him, and he healed them all. I like what it says in Luke 4 and 40. All they that had any sick with divers diseases brought them unto him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. I like Mark 4 and 23. And Jesus went about all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, healing all manners of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. Can I tell you, it's immutable. And he's immutable and unchangeable. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. If he'd done that in his earthly ministry, he still does it today. Amen? This is why that Isaiah prophesied of the provision of the cross being more than just for salvation. He said, surely he has borne our griefs, carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him, stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of the peace was upon him, and through his stripes were healed. I like that because the same Lord that was wounded for our transgression, the same Lord that was bruised for our iniquity, the same Lord that took our chastisement upon him, it says, and through his stripes were healed. This is why the Psalms 103, verse 1 through 3 says, Oh, bless the Lord, O oh, my soul, and all that's within me. Oh, bless the Lord, O oh, my soul, and forget not his fringe benefits. A God that forgiveth all iniquities and heals all diseases. Hallelujah. The same Lord that saves, redeems, and sets us free is the same Lord that heals us and makes us whole. Jesus took upon himself our physical infirmities, and there is no disease which, he, which is uncurable in his sight. There are three reasons for the purpose of the miracles of Jesus. I'm not going to be able to preach long there, but I just want to hit them real fast. And the first one is this, that Jesus performed miracles out of compassion for the people. I love that. No matter how you feel here today, I want to tell you, we can get in such a dark place that you feel like that no one loves you, that no one cares. You can get so down and beat up that you don't even care about yourself. But I want to tell you something. Jesus is a God of compassion. He looked at the sheep and he was moved with compassion because he seed that they were like sheep without a shepherd. Hallelujah. And I can only imagine when God looks down and sees you in your dilemma, how his heart is touched and how he wants to move on your behalf because he has compassion. Matter of fact, Mark 1, verse 40, 40, 40 through 42 says, and there came a leper to him, beseeching him and kneeling down to him and saying unto him, if thou wilt, thou can make me clean. And Jesus with compassion put forth his hand and touched him and said to him, I will, be thou clean. And as soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy departed from him and he was cleansed. The outcast of society, the man that had to walk around because he was a leper, he had to separate himself from everybody else and he had to walk around wrapped up and, and, and things over his face saying, unclean, unclean, and that let you know he's a leper and that you had to stay away from him and you couldn't associate with him because leprosy was v very contagious. But Jesus said, huh, I, he said, if you can, you can make me clean. He said, I, I will. And he went over and touched him. He literally touched the leper. He found, that leper found significance there because it says that Jesus had compassion upon him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Today, I believe that Jesus is having compassion on people in this congregation. I believe that Jesus is weeping over some people here today. That's why that first Peter says, casting all your care upon him because he cares for you. And I love what Peter said in First Peter, or no, it was John, I'm sorry, John 6 and 37. He said, unto him that cometh unto me, I will in no wise cast out, is what Jesus said. This is why the Hebrews chapter four, starting with verse 16, tells us that we have a high priest that's passing into the heavens to hold therefore our profession of him who is the son of God. And he tells us that he can be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Therefore, we can come boldly to the throne of grace and we can obtain mercy and help in our time of need that Jesus can feel your very infirmity. He feels the weight of what you're going through. He can identify with it because him as the son of man has went through everything that you have went through yet without sin. And because he came down and took on the form of flesh, he identifies with us who are people of flesh. 
And now, because of that, he can have human compassion upon you. Oh, how God loves us. The second reason Jesus loves to heal is to convince the people who he was. And I don't have time to preach on that, but Jesus performed miracles in Mark chapter 2, verse 1 through 12, just to authenticate who he was. He was the Son of God. As a matter of fact, if there's ever a time that people need to know that Jesus is God, it's now. If there's ever a time that we need to see the witness and the power of the Holy Spirit, it's now. All across, all across the Muslim world right now, did you know that more Muslims are getting saved now than in the history of the world? We always say, where's signs and wonders? They're all over these third world countries. Amen? They showed a clip the other day, and I was amazed at all the Muslims that had came to Jesus Christ under great persecution because they had dreams of Jesus, and there were beginning to be miracles just being poured out upon the peoples of the Muslim countries, and by the literal thousands of people, what the Muslim world thought they would do is take over the world. Jesus has sprung light right in the middle of them and saving them by the thousands. Do you not think he wants to do that in the United States of America? Amen? The kingdom of God is a kingdom of power. It's a kingdom of great glory. The third reason that Jesus performed miracles is because he's obligated to his word. He promised that he would confirm his word with signs following. That's why that Mark 16 and 20 says, and they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs and wonders. That means that when I preach the word of God and I believe the word of God and you really believe what I preach, signs and wonders will follow. I like what Philip happened to Philip, a layman. This is a layman. He's not got credentials from Jerusalem, guys. This is just a layman. In chapter 8, verse 5, it says, Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria. He preached Christ unto them. What did he preach? Christ. A simple message. Jesus Christ. And the people with one accord gave heed to the things which Philip spake, and seeing the things and the miracles in which he did. The unclean spirits crying with loud voices came out of many that were possessed with them, and many taken with palsy, and those that were lame were healed. Here's Philip, a preacher. A lay preacher, just a common church member, goes down to the city of Samaria, preaches a simple message, Jesus Christ. And as he preached Christ to them people, they begin to believe by the things which he spake and the things they saw. They seen unclean spirits coming out. They seen people with palsies being healed. They seen the lame getting up out of wheelchairs and throwing down their crutches and walking. How many is ready to see that right here, right here in this building right now? Some of you are skeptical. Amen. And then it says, and there was great joy in that city. Well, wouldn't there not be? Hallelujah. This should not surprise us because uh, uh, Hebrews chapter 2 verse 4 says, God also bearing them witness both with signs and wonders and divers miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to his own will. Mark 6, 17 and 18 says, and these signs shall follow them that believe in my name. They shall cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up service. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. And they shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Hallelujah. Listen to what it says in John chapter 21 and 25 in closing. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that, for them all to be written. Hallelujah. Our Lord is the Lord of miracles. Our Lord is the Lord of healing. He is the Jehovah Rapha, the Lord, the Lord that healeth us. We serve a miraculous, marvelous, supernatural God. If you don't believe me, go ask Beatrice Haggy. Beatrice Haggy was a little lady that was around 200 and some pounds all through my childhood. Got a call one day from their sons who happened to be my friends of my hometown. They called me and said, Brother Miller, could you come? Or they called me Kent on a first name basis. Kent, could you come and pray for my mom? I said, be right over. I got in my car. Me and my dad went over to Dudley, Missouri and walked into a house and they laid a hall. 78 pounds. She is gargling, drowning in her own fluid. And she's 78 pounds and she's all swelled up with fluid drowning and her eyes are sunk two and a half inches in her head. And she's sitting there. She don't know nobody. She can't respond. She can't talk. They don't even know if she can hear. And the doctors are saying she's got but just hours. She's going to die. And they just wanted me to come and ask for a, a sweet passing just to release her from that body that had deteriorated, that had come down to that 78 pounds. I walked in and me and my dad laid our hands on her and prayed for her and the Lord spoke to me and said, I'm gonna heal her and raise her up. Didn't do it right before my eyes like I have seen before. I walked out onto that front porch and I said, Dad, Beatrice is gonna be healed. And he said, oh my, I can't. Are you sure? And I said, I'm telling you, the Lord spoke to me and said, Beatrice is gonna be healed. Two weeks later, she was at the house of God. 15 years later, she's still living with cancer free. And when she died, she died as an old lady. She did not die with cancer. 
If you don't believe in miracles, just get Brother Tally, who's right here in this very service with us a week ago, was in a hospital, paralyzed, screaming with pain, couldn't move, couldn't even put his legs over the side of a bed. He had become an invalid, you might as well say. Me and Bill went over to see him, and Steve and, uh, Steve, uh, and, and Brother Chuck Richardson had went over also and prayed for him on a, I think that was on a Monday, if I'm not mistaken. We go into that hospital and we lay our hands on him and pray for him. And he's paralyzed and he's screaming with pain and he's been diagnosed with three different kinds of cancer. And he's laying there and, 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 and by all indications you think this man's going to die. This man's not going to make it. This man's going through, he's lost all kinds of weight. But I'm here to tell you, he's sitting right back there with us this morning because the next morning he got up, he no longer has pain in his body. He walked through the hospital and the doctor looked at him and said, you can go home, you make my day. If you don't believe me, ask Brother Richardson. Is your daddy here today? Where you at, Brother Richardson? Right there's a man that had had cancer and they wasn't giving him a good good report at all because it moved and went into different organs and when that happens, you might as well write your death wish because when it starts moving throughout the body and goes to different types of organs, but this church humbled themselves on their face and sought the face of God. How long ago has that been? <laughs> Did you hear that? I'm here to tell you he's been cancer free. He's been declared that since, not, since 2017. But he had, had it, or the diagnosis earlier than that. But 2017, they finally said he's cancer free. He's sitting right there today as a living miracle of God. If you don't believe me, go ask Kavira Powell whose feet were swelled up bigger than footballs and her ankles was the size of a broom handle. And she was about 90 pounds soaking wet. And her toes were busting open and the top of her feet were busting open and blood and, and mucus and, and, and infection was running out of her feet. And the doctors were giving her all kinds of antibiotics and didn't know what to do, it wasn't clearing it up. And they said, well, Pop, you have to amputate the legs. You're probably gonna lose your legs. If something ain't gonna be, if something don't happen in the next three or four days, we're gonna to have to cut your legs off to, from the knees down. We went in and we prayed for her to make a long story short, right before our eyes, whom her feet went right back to normal. And she got up as an old lady. She, she was an old lady. She didn't get to dance and shout like maybe a young person would, but she started moving her feet and she started saying, Whoa, look, 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 look. Right before our eyes, God healed her. You say, well, God don't heal no more. Don't, don't tell my brother that. Stage four brain cancer. Had it, had the tumor removed, fought it for five years. It went away for five years. The fifth year, it came back in a vengeance. And they looked at him and said, the tumor you got now is more aggressive. It's stage four. It's in the middle of your brain. It's inoperable. There's nothing that we can do. You've had all the radiation that you can have. You've had all of the chemo that you can have. The gamma knife, we can't do anymore because you done had it one time before. All we're going to do is drug you up and send you home. And by Christmas, you'll be dead. He said, you better get your house in order and live as comfortable as you can. We're going to make you as comfortable as we can with morphine and different things like that, but you're going to die. Well, let me tell you, that's been about six to eight years ago. I just talked to him a week ago. There is no tumor still yet to this day. The blood of Jesus Christ has healed him of his brain tumor. You want me to go on? Go ask Jason Gregory, a 16-year-old boy, had a car wreck. His head was swelled up bigger than two basketballs almost. And they said he's in a coma. He'll never come out of it. And if he does, he's going to be a vegetable. He's not going to be able to talk. He's going to be laying in a bed for the rest of his life. His brain is already swelled to the... We're going to have to probably cut the top part of his head off to relieve the pressure. And when we do, it's probably going to cause him to die. And they said, you just got a, a little window here. Our pastor walks in, prays for him comes out smiling and comes out rejoicing and said, oh, he'll wake up and he'll be hungry after a while. Don't worry about it. His mom's sitting there crying and weeping. His dad's sitting there crying and weeping. I'm sitting there as a young boy, skeptical as can be. And the pastor come out rejoicing and smiling. Here it was about 8 o'clock at night, 9 o'clock at night in Cape Hospital in that, in that waiting room. And he just said, oh, he's going to wake up after a while. And when he does, he's going to get hungry. Make sure they feed him. The doctor looked at him and just rolled his eyes and walked away. 
Two o'clock that morning, he woke up and said, Mama, I'm hungry. And they fed him. His brain went down. He never had to have a surgery. And the night, matter of fact, within a few days, he was out of the hospital. He's still in Dexter, Missouri today, living with a life of fullness. I'm here to tell you, miracles still happen today. Oh, I'm, you know, if you don't believe me, look at the evidences of them. There's a lot of people that don't believe in divine healing because of the, uh, their opinions derived from 1 Corinthians 13, starting with verse 8. And they have a misinterpretation of Scripture. But the Scripture says, charity never faileth, love never faileth. But whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, they shall be done away with. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. And here's what they get out of that, that the miraculous has gone away with the apostles. And when the word of God finally came together, that you no longer need a prophecy because you got the word of God. You no longer need tongues because you got the word of God. And the miracles are gone away because... Now you've got the word of God to just trust in, blah, blah, blah. Well, I don't know where they get that. That ain't what that's saying at all. How many knows that if you think that prophecies has failed, tongues is done away with, knowledge has ceased, if you believe that, then that's contrary to the very scripture itself. Because Daniel prophesied in Daniel 4 and 12 that in the last days there will be an increase of knowledge. There'll be an explosion of knowledge. How much more knowledge have we received from the 1800s to now? Come on, somebody help me preach. When it says, when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part shall be done away. You know when it's talking about when that which is perfect has come? It's talking about that day when the rapture takes place and he that is perfect comes and gives his people back. As a matter of fact, some even say it's the second coming when he puts his earth. When Jesus comes back, we'll have no need of that. Can I have it? Until Jesus comes back and touches this earth again in his second coming, there will always be need of healing and miracles. Come on. And prophecy. You ain't going to need healing in the millennial kingdom. You know why? Because everything's going to go back to its original state like it was in the Garden of Eden. There are going to be people that live a thousand years in the thousand year millennial. Lions will lay down with a lamb. Be perfect peace. But until then, we need to believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. Would you stand with me this morning?